I want you to imagine for a moment two sets of football team supporters. Sorry if you're not into football, but just go with me on this, okay? There's two teams and they support, uh, two sets of fans and they support different teams. One of these fans, one of their teams, have just had new owners. And the new owners have said, right, we've got new leadership in place. We've got lots of funds that we're going to invest into the team. We've got a plan for the future. We know where we're headed and we know who we're going to buy. We've got lots of money to support it. We're going to get a new stadium. It's all going to be very exciting. Um, things might not be easy all the time, but we're going to get there. This is where we're going. That's one team. Then the other team, the leadership don't really speak much, but when they do, it doesn't sound very hopeful. They say, we don't know what the future holds. There's no real plan. There's no finances. We're not sure if we can pay the players this next month. We can't invest in anything. We'll try our best, but that's about it. Some of the leadership might not be here soon. The future looks bleak. Now, I want you to picture those two groups of fans on the first day of the season. I'm sure that you could spot the difference, couldn't you? On the way to the match, which teams would have a spring in their step? Which fans would be excited? Which fans would know that there's a hope for the season? And which fans would maybe be really worried and concerned because they don't know what the future holds. They don't know where they're headed and this future is uncertain. When you're part of something big and exciting, when you're part of something that has a certain future, it's going to affect how you live right now. Paul spent, has spent the first three chapters of Ephesians telling us how amazing the news of Jesus is and all that he's done for us. He has told those who trust in Jesus are safe. They are secure in him. They are spiritually millionaires. They have been chosen, loved, accepted, forgiven, redeemed. All of that is yours in Christ. You are on your way to glory. You're on your way to heaven. You are saved not by works, but by grace. That's what he has been saying in these first few chapters. And this is all yours, not because of your life and how you've lived, but because of the kindness and the grace of God. Because he has saved you. You haven't saved yourself. It's all of him. You don't earn it. It is a gift, a free gift of God's grace. And that is why in chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Look at that verse with me. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have. You have so much spiritually. Now, that has to look and affect your lives. Your life has to look different. And so he started in the first half of chapter 4 by saying, so look, this has to affect you as a church. This is what you're going to look like. This is how you're going to live. You're going to live in unity and love and peace together because of what God has done for you. You're going to serve and help one another because the ascended Christ we saw last week has given everybody gifts to serve and help one another in. But in today's passage, we see he compares two groups of people. He compares those who don't have Jesus and those who do. Look, he says in verse 17, don't walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk as those who don't know Jesus. As Paul is saying, if you know Jesus, your life will be different. So what I want us to do is to look at this this morning by saying, well, let's have a look at life without Jesus, which we see in uh, verses 17 uh, down to 19. But then as well, then let's look at life with Jesus. And then we'll see the difference uh, that we're, that's supposed to make. 
So the first thing, let's have a look at life without Jesus. Now this morning, you might be here thinking, well, I don't trust in Jesus. Well, Paul is going to, like a, a careful surgeon, come and show us what's wrong with our lives and hearts. Show us some of the causes of some of the things that we see in this world. And it is not comfortable to hear often. But as with a good surgeon, he'll tell us the news we need to hear to make us better rather than pretend it's not there. So life without Jesus. Look at the first thing we see of life without Jesus is one, verse 17, of futility in their minds. So don't walk. I urge you not to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That word futile means vain. It means pointless. It means an emptiness. You know, it means that it's saying that life without Jesus, you can end up living for things that ultimately are empty. Ultimately will be taken away. Everything will be taken away and you can live for things that won't be here forever. We'll live for things that won't satisfy. We will live for things that don't fill us up, but they're just we keep searching for more and more. In Ecclesiastes, a similar theme is picked up. Remember, we looked at that um, a while back now. But it has the idea there of vapour and life being uh, vanity. Think of a smoke. Um, think of when you blow out um, a birthday cake candles uh, and, and the smoke and the vapour's going up. You try and grab it, don't you? But you can't grab it, it's gone. Or you think of bubbles, when you blow bubbles for children and um, toddlers love chasing after bubbles. They try and grab hold of the bubbles and as soon as they've grabbed it, it's gone. And the same way life can be like that. We're just chasing after things, trying to grab things, but as soon as we get what we think is going to satisfy, it ends up being pointless and vain and futile. I remember hearing about a, a dad who took his boy to the rubbish tip to show him something. That's a good fun trip, isn't it? <laughs> I'm taking you to the tip today. Um, well, he took him there because the, what he wanted to show him was this. Everything you own will one day end up here. <laughs> that was his life lesson for the day. Everything you own, the things that you treasure, that phone that you enjoy using that you've been looking forward to for years, uh, that'll end up here. That car that you will long to get will end up as scrap metal. That kitchen that you love won't be there for the whole time. You know, the, uh, these things, all these things we live for will end up just here in the tip. If we're honest, most of the stuff we own will one day be a headache for somebody to know what to do with when we're not here anymore. That's the reality, isn't it? We, we can chase our life chasing these things, but actually they're, they're vain, they're empty. Life without Jesus can be one where we are pursuing things that don't last and don't satisfy. We can spend our lives chasing these things. Life without Jesus can end us on that path. But look what we're told next in verse 18. Uh, it's futility of mind, but as well, look, they are darkened in their understanding, in darkness. Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. Uh, so without him, we're in darkness. And darkness can be a dangerous place to be, can't it? In darkness, that's where we can hide. We get lonely. In darkness, we can end up bumping into things or treading on things that we didn't see were there. We're in danger. In darkness, we're on our own. We're in danger. We're trying to work things out in this life, but the reality is we're just uh, guessing. Without Jesus, our understanding is darkened. We can't see things clearly. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. 
So as you look up to God's creation, it is speaking to us. It is telling us, look, you're part of something bigger. Your life is not small and meaningless, but there's a great God who has made all of this and he loves you and you are precious to him. Even though we might be on that kind of tiny blue speck in space in the whole universe, God loves you. The heavens declare, nature is telling us something about how great God is. You look up to the stars and it is not silent, it is telling you something. But the problem is we refuse to see him in creation. We ignore him. We have our heads down as we're not wanting to look up. But if we do look up, we don't see the God who's made it. Romans 1 says that the truth about God that everybody has in their hearts, we suppress that truth. We push it down and we say, I don't want to know it. So without Jesus, we live in the world that God has made. We enjoy all the stuff that he's given us, but we ignore the one who's given it. We say, I'm going to take all your gifts, but I'm going to live it on my own. Because we're in darkness without Jesus. So without Jesus, we're living for futile things. We are dark in our understanding. Uh, verse 18, the second half says, what does it say next? We are alienated from the life of God. You see, we've chosen to take all of God's gifts, but to walk away from the giver, to walk away from him. So we're cut off from him. We are disconnected from the life of God. See, remember the purpose that God said that we, he made us. We were made to be with him, to be in relationship with him, to enjoy him in the world he made for us. But we've said, no, I want to do it on my own. I've used the picture before, haven't you? Haven't I? Of, imagine a girl and it's her, it's her birthday and it's her first bike. She's having her first bike. And the mum or the dad really wants to help this girl show them how to ride a bike. But there's, when this girl unwraps this bike, um, she says, oh, I don't need any help with this. What are those? Stabilizers? Don't need those stabilizers. Get them off. I'm going to the top of Neath Road and I'm going to go right down into town on my own. Now, what's going to happen there? Well, there's going to be a lot of pain, a lot of um, yeah, hurt and blood and mess and gore because that bike was made to be used. Uh, that the parents wanted to teach the child how to use it well so that the child could enjoy it properly. But without the parents, it can end in disaster. In the same way, God made this world for us to enjoy, not on our own, not apart from him, but with him, so that we could look at all the colors, look at all the greatness and the majesty of the life around, enjoy his gifts of food and friends and uh, fellowship and, and fun and have all of that and enjoy it, but with him. They're all God's gifts to us, to point us to him. But the our problem is we end up looking, instead of looking at um, God, we end up just looking at the sign, looking at the, the pointers. We try and do it alone. We are cut off from God. We're trying to live in this world on our own. And, and so the decisions we make can end, us getting up, can end us getting full of heartache because we make decision after decision that seems to destroy us. We're ignoring the Creator. So we, have, we can chase after futile things, verse, eight, uh, verse 17. And we're darkened in our minds without Jesus. We're alienated from the life of God. And look what else we're told, uh, that our hearts are hard. They've become, verse 19, callous. Without Jesus, our hearts just get hardened towards him. We don't want God. We don't have him. And then our hearts just, just get harder and harder towards him. 
Uh, Carless, isn't it? You can think of Carless, you could maybe if you're used to working with your hands, uh, you do woodwork or you're good at DIY or in the garden, you know that your hands can get used to it. The first time you do a lot of DIY or a lot of work, your hands can get sore, but the more you do it, your hands just get harder and harder, and so you can do more hard, heavy-duty things. In the same way with our hearts, they can just grow hard towards God. We just despise Him. We just don't want Him. And we've chosen that. We don't want him because we want to go our own way. Aldous Huxley, who was a famous English writer from the 20th century and who's a philosopher as well, was an atheist. But listen to how he describes his atheism. This is fascinating. He says this, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. Consequently, assumed that it had not. I was able to carry out without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for my assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning for this world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of metaphysics. He's concerned to prove that there's no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument for liberation. What he's saying is this, I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. And I didn't want anybody to tell me otherwise. So if there was a God who had a meaning for me, I didn't want to listen because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. See, if there is a God, and if he is real, he has something to say to us about our lives. He has something to say about how our lives work best. But we harden our hearts to God. We say to him, I'm going to do whatever I want. And so we push him out. Now, this um, talk of hardening our hearts, it can be the same without Jesus. But I wanted to pause just for a moment and see, you know, so often, as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't harden our hearts towards God. That we don't just let little things slip in our lives that end up pushing us further and further away from him. Listen to this uh, few words from Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on revival. He says this, be careful how you treat God, my friends. You may say to yourself, I can sin against God and then of course I can repent and go back and find God whenever I want him. You try it. And you will sometimes find that not only can you not find God, but that you don't even want to. You'll be aware of a terrible hardness of heart. You can do nothing about it. There's one thing to do. Turn back to him and say, God, do not go on dealing with me as I deserve. Soften my heart. Melt me. I can't do it yourself. Cast yourself utterly on him, on his mercy and compassion. If today you feel like you've drifted from him and your heart is quite hard and you think, you know, I'm, I'm losing that desire to even want to be near to him, throw yourself on him this morning. As we've thought about in the early in the service, he is patient. He is offering you in his kindness another opportunity to return to him this morning. Remember, we're looking at life without Jesus, first of all. Life without Jesus is one where there's darkness of mind, there's futility, uh, chasing after vain things that won't satisfy. We're alienated from the life of God. Um, we're hard in our hearts. And the last thing we see here is that they have given themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that is this, we are slaves to our desires. Without Jesus, we are slaves to our desires. Now, um, often people might think, well, I don't want to follow Jesus because I want to be free. If I follow Jesus and, and believe in God and then I have to do what he says, that sounds like you know, slavery. That sounds like I am locked in and, and, and restricted. But me, no, no, I want to be free. But what the Bible tells us time and time again is that nobody is free. We are all serving something. 
We all have a master. We just need to choose that master. I wonder what is your master today? What are you following? What are you doing whatever it says? Here we see without Jesus, we can just give ourselves over to any kind of desire that we have. Maybe today you just really want to be loved and accepted by other people. And so you'll do whatever it takes to be loved and accepted by, by that group. Maybe you want success and you're driven by it and nothing will get in the way. And so you essentially, you do whatever work says. You'll sacrifice family, friendships, anything, even your spiritual life so that you can attain that success. Maybe it's the things that you own. You'll do whatever you can to get whatever you want. And you are just a slave to your possessions. And that's what motivates you. Maybe you're just a slave to pleasure and you can't say no to any physical pleasure or comfort. Whether it's TV, food, sex, alcohol, whatever it is, you end up being addicted to these things because you're just looking for, um, for this comfort and pleasure. Without Jesus, it's not that we're choosing freedom. We're choosing a, a, a master who's going to control us, promise us everything, but then leave us empty and in despair. We can just be slaves to our desires without Jesus. Can you see this picture that Paul is saying, look, this is what you used to be like, he's saying to, the, to Christians here. Before you had Jesus, life without Jesus is one way you, you chase after vain things that don't satisfy. You're darkened in your mind and in your understanding. You're alienated from God. You have a hardness of heart and you're just slaves to your desires. So let's secondly now look at life with Jesus. Because look what Paul says in verse 20. That is not what you heard of in Christ. That is not the way you learnt Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth of, of Jesus. Paul says, look, you know something better than this. It's different now. That's not what you know. You know something far greater. Let's just quickly go through those, those things that we've looked at in life without Jesus and how Jesus transforms them. A futility of mind, chasing after vain things. Instead of living for things that don't last, when you know what Jesus has done for you, you live for him who lives forever. You live for his kingdom, which is eternal. You, you can invest your life in something that will go on beyond this life. You've tasted, as Jesus calls himself, the living water. And when you drink of him, you will never be thirsty again. He is the bread of life. When you eat of him, you won't go hungry again. Jesus satisfies the deep, deepest longings of our heart that nothing in this world can. So that when we try and grasp for those bubbles in this world, they end up being nothing. When we get hold of Jesus, he is everything. He is the fullness. He fills us up. We don't have to live for futile things anymore. Not only that, instead of being darkened in our understanding, now we know the light of the world. Jesus has shone his light into our hearts. Now you know what it's like, don't you, when the sunshine comes out and the light streams through the windows at home and you realise that you haven't cleaned for a while and all the dust has shown up, all the cobwebs are out because the light shows things you don't want to see sometimes. In the same way in our hearts, when the light of Jesus comes in, he shows us things that aren't comfortable. Shows us things, as we're going to look at in these next few chapters, things that need to change, things that aren't right. The light shines, but also the light shines and shows us dangers. It shows us that piece of Lego that we were about to step on, as it were, when they switch the light on. It shows us things that we don't walk into or bump into. It helps us to see the right way to go. 
the light of Jesus. You're no longer in darkness. You've seen. Not only are you now in the light, instead of being alienated from God, what happens to you? Think of when Jesus dies on the cross. In Mark's gospel, as soon as Jesus dies, he takes us to the temple. And the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. Why? Well, beyond the temple curtain is the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt in a special way. And so God was showing us, now that Jesus died, the way to God is open. You have access to God. You are made to know that relationship that we were created to know. Instead of being far away from him, you can now speak to him. He is near. You can know his presence. We can call him our father, our shepherd, our friend. We're not a long way off, but he has brought us near. That is what we are now. We have access to the father. We're not alienated, but we're near. We're we're kind of um, reconnected to the life that we were created to know. Not only now we, we, we do have hard hearts, it says you're callous hearts, but now when you trust in Jesus, you're given a new heart. Instead of a heart of stone, you're given a heart of flesh. And so our lives and our hearts are being transformed. We want different things than we used to. Our desires have changed. We want to follow Jesus instead of following our own ways. We want to trust and follow him. And instead of being slaves to desires, the Bible says that Jesus has set us free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We don't need to listen to our desires anymore. We can see the danger of doing whatever our body asks for because our hearts can't always be trusted. We can say no because we have Christ helping us. We can say no because by his kindness and goodness he's shown us the light and where we could end up on that trajectory if we keep following those desires. That's not you, Paul is saying. That's what you were like, but now... That's not what you learnt in Christ. That is, you are different. You've heard of him. Think on that. So Paul says, look, verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Now what he's saying there is, look, you've taken off that old self. Why would you put it back on? That old self was leading you into despair, was leading you away from God. But now the new self that you've put on, well, that's leading you to life, leading you to satisfaction, leading you to joy of Christ. There is nearness, there is light, there is newness, there is freshness, there is, there is joy to be had with Christ. Why are you do back? That's what he's saying. Now, before we move on and, and see how we're to live that life, which really the rest of this chapter impacts, Can you see the warning that there is here for us, if you're a Christian this morning? Even though this contrast is huge of life with Jesus and life without Jesus, it is telling us, Paul is saying there, look, I urge you, verse 1, in the Lord I say this, please don't walk as the Gentiles do. There's a danger there, because it's a warning, isn't it, to say, look, there's a danger that we can end up walking like those who don't know Jesus. We can end up, even though we've put off the old self, even though we've put on the new, we can end up kind of going back to the darkness. We can end up chasing after vain things. We can end up hardening our hearts. There's a danger of us walking differently to that that we should. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it, this warning. He says, Take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, 
leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How often do we need to remind each other about how sin can deceive us and pull us away? Every single day. Remember how Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray, our Father in heaven? Uh, he taught us to pray, didn't he, to forgive us our trespasses. Every day we will fail. Every day we need forgiveness. So every day we're in a danger of having our hearts hardened towards sin. We need to be aware of the reality of Christ. There's going to be a pull to the old way of life. The Bible tells us that we are a new creation in Christ if you're trusting in Jesus, but we have the old self and the flesh that pulls us back to doing what we used to do, that wants us to follow our desires instead of following Christ, to run after things that will leave us empty instead of running after Jesus that will leave us satisfied. So Paul is warning us here, be careful. I want to urge you, testify in the Lord, don't walk as the Gentiles do. You know something better now. So how then, just to, to close the last few moment, minutes, how are we to live differently? Uh, what clues does this passage give us to help us to live lives worthy of the gospel, to not be pulled back to living as we used to? Well, I think verses 20 to 24 really help us here. Because they tell us two things I want to just uh, to highlight. The first is this. We need to realise that the, the change comes from the inside out. It's not just a matter of saying, stop it. But actually, first of all, we need to realise we have a new identity in Jesus. When we're told in, this, in these verses, in verse 21 and 23, put off your old self, put on, it's saying it in the way that it's talking about a, a something that has happened. It's not now you need to put on. It's saying you have put off the old self. It's, it's done. And you have put on the new self. He's saying your identity is now different. You've changed. You've got a new priority. You're a new person. You're a child of God. You're a child of the king. You're royalty, as it were. So live like it. Augustine was a famous theologian in the history of the church. Um, he lived in the fourth century, so a long time ago. And he used to live a life where he, in, like in verse um, 19, it says, gives himself up to all his desires. Whatever he wanted, he had. That was the kind of life he lived. But then he was saved. And he wanted to live for Jesus. So when he was in one city once, apparently the story goes that there's a woman who he used to know and used to be with, and she came over to him and said, Augustine, but he ran away from her. She called after him again and said, Augustine, it is I. When he mentioned, uh, heard his name mentioned, he turned and said, but it is not I. The old Augustine is dead, and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's not me anymore, he says. I'm not going to come over there to you anymore. I, I'm changed. I'm different. His identity was different. And we're to live out that identity. You see, remember who you are. You are loved. You are Christ's. You've been bought with a, a price. You have purpose and value. We need to breathe that in and remember who we are and what we have in Jesus. And as a result of that, then he says, now live differently. Don't go back to how you were because you are somebody different. See, the change happens from the inside out. And look how specifically that's done. Secondly, it says we need, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. How is this done? How do we live lives that are different? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We're told to be renewed, not make yourself renewed. 
be renewed. Something is done to you. We need to bring, how do we renew our minds? We need to bring our minds and expose it to the greatness and the glory of Christ. Let him transform you. We need to go and see and make ourselves see that Christ is better than anything else. Then our lives will change as we behold him and see that he's greater. So what do you need to put into your life that isn't there now to give you opportunity to behold the greatness of Christ, to see how great he is? Do you need to make more time and plan more time to read God's word? Make more time and plan more time to be here with us on a Sunday as we try and behold Christ together. Make more time to listen to songs that thrill your heart. Make more time to read good books. Make more time to spend time with Christians who are going to encourage you and build you up. What do you need to do to behold Christ, to see that he is better and greater? There's a great illustration of this in Greek mythology. Have you heard of the sirens in Greek mythology? The sirens would seductively tempt sailors to come nearer to, to, to shore, and as that would happen, the sailors' boats would crash on, the, crash on these rocks that they couldn't see. So sailors would be fooled by these kind of mesmerizing melodies that the sirens would sing, and they would want to go closer and closer to these, um, these boats, uh, these uh, sirens, and then they'd end up being killed and crashed on the rocks. So there's two ways that people in Greek mythology try to beat the sirens. The first is Ulysses, and he had been warned about these um, sirens. So what he did was this. He wanted to beat them, so he got his um, other sailors on his boat to pour wax into his ears so that he wouldn't be able to hear them. And just in case he could hear them, he wanted to be tied to the mast of the ship so that he wouldn't be able to go and listen. So Ulysses did that. He heard the siren song and he wanted to go. He wanted to go to the shore. He was mesmerized by the promise that these sirens were given for this gratification. But he was tied, so he couldn't do anything. So however much he wanted to go, he couldn't. He couldn't do anything. His soul had said yes, because he'd put these things on him, he couldn't. Ulysses kind of defeated the sirens in one sense, but there's a better way of defeating the sirens. And that's what Jason did. Jason faced the same problem as Ulysses, but he did something very different. Uh, he brought with him on his trip a man called Orpheus. And Orpheus was the most amazing musician in the whole of, the, of Greek mythology. He played the flute and the lyre. And when he played, it's said that there was no lovelier sound in the whole of the ancient world. So when the sirens came, did Jason use wax? Did he use rope to tie himself? No, he ordered Orpheus to play the most beautiful tune he could so that he would hear a greater, more special, more beautiful tune than the sirens were offering. So his heart was won by Orpheus's music instead of being won by the sirens. He knew a better sound, a better tune, a better melody. Now, can you see the difference? Can you see how, um, what obedience, true obedience should look like for the Christian? We are told that the, the tune and the melody of following Jesus Christ is far more beautiful than anything, 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 anything our desires can offer. Anything that this world offers, because Jesus is better, he is more beautiful, he is more glorious. So we need to get into the position where we are exposing our hearts and our minds to the glory of Christ, and we are being renewed. We're remembering his goodness and his beauty and his glory and how much he can satisfy our souls and our hearts. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
be renewed in the spirit of your minds inside out transformation what do we need to put in place in our lives to behold christ more than we do now there's a warning here don't be pulled back but there's a great promise here that christ he will renew our minds as we behold him and we put on the new self as 24 created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness we will look like christ because we behold him we become more like what we behold maybe this morning you're here and you're not a christian you haven't yet trusted jesus and maybe you realize that first thing they're saying life without christ that's you you know you're chasing after vain things that don't work you know you're just feeling darkness and you know you need hope you need something can i urge you this morning call out to jesus say jesus i need you and he'll come and save you jesus would you forgive me for the wrong i've done and he will forgive you and you'll be a child of god accepted and then you'll know what it is to live a life for jesus and if you have committed your life to jesus let's hear this, these words again where paul says live please let me urge you don't live like you used to you've got something way better now listen to the tune the melody of christ and the beauty of the gospel